Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, church. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Uh, today we'll be going through Psalm 86. And the title of my uh, sermon for today is Hold On to God. Hold On to God. Psalms is a book with poetic writings, and many of these psalms contain moments where David is being raw and real before God. Uh, these psalms were, are moments where David calls out to God, and are these, these moments where he actually calls out to God, they're called lament psalms. According to Oxford Dictionary, a lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. Many of these moments that David was facing were dark and disheartening moments where David was experiencing highly stressful circumstances. In this specific moment of Psalm 86, David is on the run for his life. This is the same David that when a, a giant named Goliath mocked God and his people, David responded in faith. Saul was king during that time, and Saul was strong. He was actually the tallest Israelite and one of the most handsome men in Israel. There's a description in uh, 1 Samuel 9-2 where it says this, And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man. There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he. From his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. So literally the tallest man of his time in Israel. And David is a very different man. David was much different than Saul. There's a, a short description um, of Samuel visiting Jesse, looking for those who would be anointed as the next king in place of Saul in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6 through 13. This is a description of David. We'll see in a little bit. When they came, he looked on Eliab, Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to him, Do not look on his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees, not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called another uh, son of his um, and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen any of these. He's not chosen any of these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said to him, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. He's out uh, doing chores. He's doing something not super significant, right? Because a lot of his other sons were out, uh, were soldiers, and, and I'll, I'll explain later, but uh, he says he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for he will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and beautiful, uh, ruddy, ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of the brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went to Ramah. So that we see that they had different physical uh, appearances. David was kind of like the runt of the litter, right? He was kind of like the small one, the, the last one, the, the youngest, the weakest one. But not only were they different uh, physically from each other, Saul and David were different spiritually. 
Instead of Saul going to battle, being this big man that he was, to fight against Goliath, Saul was afraid. He was fearful, shaking in his boots. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, I'm not going anywhere near Goliath. So David took Saul's place. David had faith and confidence in God, standing against Goliath and pelted him in the head with stones by a sling. And later, what did he do? He chopped off his head as a trophy. David was victorious, and people began to see how David, how David was so great compared to Saul. Saul began to grow anger, bitterness, and jealousy towards David. Saul begins to hate David so much that he tries to kill him several times with failed attempts. David, being a follower of God, uh, chooses not to fight against Saul and instead flees when, Ch- when Saul chases after his, him with his army. This same David is going through a crisis. He wrote this psalm to share his heart during this trying moment in his faith and how he was able to hold on to God. He didn't doubt God, but he did feel overwhelmed by his circumstances. In this moment, David was on the run being chased by people who were out to get him and take his life from him. Not only was he experiencing the fear of being killed, but he was also facing moments where it was difficult to find joy. With all the commotion going on in his life, such as running out of danger from madmen, how could he really find joy and hope? Maybe today you're feeling unsure of who is for you. If maybe your circumstances are too great to bear, and if God is truly on your side. Maybe you also wonder, how can you experience joy in the midst of trying circumstances and in moments where you feel completely discouraged and desperate? Please take time today to approach God's word today from the perspective of David. Let's feel what he felt and put ourselves in his shoes. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I pray pray you help us, Lord. Help us to grasp uh, today's message from your word. It's your word, God. It's not my word. It's your word, God. And your word is so beautiful, so powerful, so amazing, so significant, God. It has the power to pierce through us, God, and Uh, to take hearts of stones and to bring them back to flesh, God, to give us revival, God. So I pray, Lord, that you strengthen us. I pray it helps us today to grow in love for you, God, but it also strengthens us in our faith and that we leave here today different than the way that we came in, that we come in changed and transformed by your word, God. May you help us today. May you guide us and may you lead us with your steadfast love. Amen. Awesome. So this whole... Uh, first section is David's despair. David's despair. Psalm 86, 1 through 7. Psalm 86, 1 says this, Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Incline your ear, O Lord, which means listen to me, Lord. You guys have maybe heard it said, Linda, listen. Listen to me, Linda, right? There's like that video that went out to everyone. Uh, like on YouTube, I was like, Linda, listen. Not my Aunt Linda, but uh, <laughs> that was a different Linda. But um, he's saying, answer me, for I am poor and needy. What do you guys think that means? I am poor and needy. David, in this moment, he doesn't have a great amount of resources. He has maybe about, well, the Bible tells us he has 400 men during this time. In 1 Samuel 22, 1 through 2, it says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there with him. 
and everyone who is in distress, and everyone who is in debt, and everyone who is bitter in soul, gathered to him, and he became commander over them. And there were with him about 400 men. So first off, these men that are with David, they don't sound like winners or valiant men. They sound more like men who are broken and actually in pretty bad shape. But as for Saul's men, he had a bit more than David that he could chase uh, David after uh, him with his own men. Saul had around, let's see, 2,600 more men than David. Uh, 1 Samuel 24, verse 2 says this about Saul's men. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men, chosen men out of all of Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goat's rock. These were the toughest men. Maybe back then they would have been considered the Navy SEALs of their time. Imagine, Saul had the very best of the best. These were the elite. It would be like having a basketball team with only the best players. Imagine LeBron James, Shaq, Kobe, and Michael Jordan all on the same team. That would be an unstoppable team, right? So all these super soldiers, what they're doing is they're actually going against poor little young David and his little 400 men. Think about that. Going back to our text today, in the second part of verse 1, David shares with us, with God, that he is under-resourced and he needs God's help. So this, this next section we'll see is David asked God for help. Uh, verse 2, David goes on to ask God for help in specific ways. He says this in verse 2, Preserve my life. For I am godly, save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all the day. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call upon you. Verse 2, David asks for God to spare his life. And he reminds God that he's a follower of God. And he obeys God and trusts him. He reminds God of his faithfulness, not not his perfectness, but his uh, willingness to follow after God. Verse 3, David asks for God to give him grace. And what is grace? Undeserved favor. He doesn't deserve it, but he asks him for grace. Verse 4, David asks for God to give him joy. Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Why does David ask For God to give him joy. David does this because he knows he cannot receive joy on his own. Out of his own effort, no matter how hard he tries, in his circumstances, he cannot find joy on his own. You can try and try to be happy over and over again, but the only way to have real happiness in terrible circumstances is through having faith in God and knowing that he will be able to get you through it. Notice in verse 5, David, although he's having a difficult time, he still knows the character of God. He still knows who God is. He knows that God is good. He knows that God is forgiving and that God has a steadfast love for people who call on God. The verse is also applicable to us as well. The original author is David, but as Christians, we can also see how 
this is a good example for the believer. Maybe for you, you are calling out to God when you've hit rock bottom. Or maybe you're calling out to God on a regular basis, praying to Him. In both circumstances, you are calling out to God. And in this case, the most important part of what you're doing is that you're admitting that you need Him and that you can't do life on your own. That means leaving independence in order to be dependent upon God. We are God's dependents. A dependent, according to the IRS, or summarized by the IRS, uh, I, I summarized their definition, is a person that depends on another person. As a Christian, we are dependents of God, His children. And then it says, steadfast love. Steadfast love in verse 5 is that God's love becomes attached to the person that admits their need for God, but is also anchored down to them and does not depart from them, from those who turn to God in faith. God's love was removed from Saul, but David called out to God often, and even through David's sin, God's love did not depart from David. David's statement on steadfast love also reminded me of the time uh, where the Lord made a covenant renewal with Israel. This happened in the book of Exodus where God told Israel about his own character as their God. The passage is in Exodus 34, 6 through 7. In verse 6, it says this, The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children and their children's children to the third and the fourth generation. Despite David's feelings, he still remembers what is true about God. He doesn't blame God for his problems, but instead affirms God's character as it was affirmed by God in Exodus with Moses and the people of Israel through that covenant renewal. This passage is central to who God is and what the love of God looks like and can be seen in other numerous texts. Even Jonah, one of the angriest prophets in the Bible, affirms what David has affirmed of God's character and steadfast love. Jonah, he was sent on a mission to tell the Ninevites that, he would be, that they would be destroyed unless if they repented. In the third chapter of Jonah, Jonah preaches a five-word sermon to the town, and they repent in verse 10. If only it were that easy. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think this is a lot more than five words. About 3,000, maybe 10,000. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> verse 10. When, they, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. And it continues in verses uh, 1 through 2 of chapter 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O oh Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, and relenting from disaster. God's love and forgiveness 
It shines throughout the Old Testament and the New Testaments to those who turn from their sin and turn to God. Going back to Psalm 86, verse 6, David again asks for God to listen. He says, Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my plea for grace. He asks again, not because he doesn't think God heard his prayer, but because prayer does something special for those who believe in God. It reminds us that we cannot do things on our own. We can't. I can't stand before you on my own, out of my own power, out of my own ability. It's only God because of God and his power. But it reminds us, prayer reminds us that we cannot do things on our own, but are completely desperate for God's help. To John Calvin, prayer was everything. Calvin said that prayer is the chief exercise of faith. Martin Luther puts it like this, to be a Christian without prayer is like saying you're alive without being able to breathe. Just can't happen, right? Spurgeon says all our perils, all of our uncertainties are nothing so long as we have prayer. So prayer is important. And we see that this, this is a lament, but we also see this is a prayer of David, right? He is calling out to God. Whenever we call out to God, that is a prayer because we're communicating with God. And Psalm 86, 7 says this, In the day of my trouble, I call upon you, for you answer me. God answers. For this next section of Scripture, David really shares who God is and how great he is. Section 2 of Psalm 86 exemplifies David's response to his despair. David's response to his despair. Verse 8, it says this in Psalm 86. There is no one like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great, and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. So I've summarized it like this. There is no one like God. He is great, and only he is God. Everyone will one day worship God alone. And you might say, okay, maybe this statement isn't as significant, or this statement is so significant, and I'm going to explain why. The people of Israel were given a law that they were only to follow after Yahweh and not to follow after false gods. Yahweh is God. Uh, It's a name for God. It's his name. Some of the gods that the kings and Israelites worshipped were Baal, the Ashtoreth, the Asherah, Beelzebub, and Molech. The gods that promoted the sacrificing of babies was Molech. So, pretty corrupt gods, pretty evil gods. Deuteronomy 12, 29 uh, through 13, 3 says this. It's a warning against worshiping other gods. And this is from God. When the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go into dispossess, and you dispossess them and dwell in their land. So, this is the promised land. This is uh, talking about when Joshua goes into the promised land of Israel. Take care that you do not be ensnared to follow after them after they have been destroyed before you, and that you do not inquire about their gods, saying, 
how did these nations serve their gods that I may also do the same? Verse 31 says, You shall not worship the Lord your God in this way. For every abominable thing that the, Lord's hate, that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. For to even burn their sons and their daughters in the fire to their gods. Everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take away from it. And then it goes on to say, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder tells you that, uh, tells you, comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods, which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. So David, David, he's the second king of Israel, and he chooses to worship God alone. For a lot of other people, they chose to worship other gods. But David chose to worship God alone as the, first, as the second king of Israel. However, the first king of Israel, Saul, sees that his relationship with God is not so strong. So what does he do? He doesn't find power in God. He says, you know, I don't have anything. There's nothing there. So what does he do? He searches for other sources of power in which he can gain control. So there's this stark contrast, if you notice, between David's life and Saul's life. Completely different people, completely different actions, completely different character. David depended alone on God's power, and Saul looked for power in anything that would seem to help. When he felt that God's power wasn't enough, Saul looked for other ways to get what he wanted. 1 Samuel 28, uh, 3-20 is the story where Saul goes against the Philistines. And Saul calls out to God, tries to get help, but he does not even receive a response. Saul then, frustrated and unable to receive an answer from God, looks for help through other resources. He goes to a medium, uh, also known as the Witch of Endor, and not the Endor in Star Wars, if anyone was wondering. <laughs> That's a different Endor. Uh, which is a person who utilized demonic powers to speak to the dead. So for this section, as we're looking at all of this, my application to you guys is this. Depend upon and worship God alone for this section of Scripture. Depend upon and worship God alone. David goes on to say in Psalm 86, 11 through 13, Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. May we learn to be like you, God. May we learn to be like God. Verse 11 says, uh, basically, God's path for us, uh, God's path for us is not a natural thing, right? And having godly character, it actually takes work. It takes the work of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it is a process of sanctification. Once we have placed our faith in God, we have become justified. Once we are justified, we will also become sanctified, which is a big word that God, God basically will put his Holy Spirit inside of us to bear the fruit of the Spirit so we may represent him uh, and his character well. 
If we could go back to verse 11, actually. So teach me to walk in your way. Unite me in your truth. And then uh, basically it says, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. So, So we see we are trying to walk in God's character, but we need the Holy Spirit in order to do that, to help us. And that is through sanctification. Unite my heart to fear your name. Uh, Verse 12, I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. Unlike Saul, David gives his whole heart and is fully dedicated to worshiping God alone and living in God's truth, being obedient to God's command. And then, of course, in verse 13, for God, for his, his steadfast love is towards David, and he has delivered David from the depths of Sheol. God's love is anchored to David. No matter what sin David commits, God continues to be faithful to David because David has placed his heart and his faith in God alone. Verse 14, O God, insolent men have risen up against me. A band of ruthless men seek my life, and they do not set you before them. These men are vicious These men are godless men. These men are evil men, insolent men. Who are these men? According to Psalm, or sorry, 1 Samuel 23, 15, they are Saul and his army who are pursuing David in order to kill David and his men. Psalm 86, 15, but you, O Lord, are God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is merciful, gracious, patient, loving, and faithful always. Verses 16 through 17 of Psalm 86 is this, turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your, uh, give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign of your favor that those who hate me may see, me, may see and be put to shame because you, O Lord, have helped me and comforted me. So God, he does this. He strengthens, he saves He shows favor to those who are his servants and followers of him. And then it goes on to say that he asks for a sign, right? Verse 17, show me a sign of your favor. What exactly is that sign? The sign uh, that David received is a word from God through Jonathan, Saul's son. The word is encouragement to David and can be seen in uh, 1 Samuel 23, 16 through 18. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horesh and strengthened his hand in God. Because think about it. David at this time is going through stress. He's going through fear. He's probably going through anxiety, right? Because Saul is after him. And so Jonathan, Saul's son, strengthened his hand in God, encouraged him. And he said to him in verse 17, Do not fear For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king of Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. Verse 18. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. So David did receive his answer from God. And his answer came through the encouragement of his friend. His friend was sent by God to remind him that he was not alone and to affirm that he was protected and would still be who God promised he would be, king over Israel. 
So just as David did, when you are feeling discouraged, driven to despair, call, call out to God, stay anchored to God, and be completely dependent upon God. That's my main point for today. Just as David did, when you are feeling discouraged, when you're feeling driven to despair, call out to God, stay anchored to God, and be completely dependent upon God. Trust me, that's going to help you get through so much of life, is relying on God, not your own power, not your own ability, not your own finances, not alcohol, drugs, other coping mechanisms, other things that people tend to go to when they're going through a hard time, not, not cigarettes, not hiking. Those things will not fully satisfy you. The only thing that will truly satisfy you is our God. That's why I say, call out to God. The first part is call out to Him. Call out to Him. Pray to Him. Ask Him, God, please help me. I need you. Stay anchored to God. That means when you're going through a hard time or, or life is even great, stay anchored to God, His Word. Because there have been plenty of times where I've felt discouraged, where I've felt fear, i felt despair, and what do I do? I run to God. In those moments, we have a choice. Do we run to God or do we flee? Do we run away from God? David ran to Goliath and faced him in faith. Are you running to God? Are you running in faith? Or are you fleeing like Saul did? Are you fleeing like Saul out of fear? Or are you running in faith? Stay anchored to God. And be completely dependent upon God. He is the rock. He is the solid foundation for life. Our lives go by so fast, right? Time goes by. We never know. We're never promised uh, tomorrow. We never know what could happen. Be dependent upon God. Trust Him. Know Him. Love Him. And so my application for you is this. Just like David needed God, so do you. You might at times feel like you can handle life on your own, but in reality, the only way we can live a life of purpose, value, and consistency is through complete reliance on the Lord. And this is for those who believe. My challenge for you is to place all your hope, trust, and faith in the Lord, for only He will be able to support you strengthen you, and satisfy you. And if you're not a believer, maybe you're questioning who God is and if He really does exist. I can say one thing from my own personal experience. He does exist. He is real. And He really cares about you. I've experienced life with God and without God. Without God, life is scary, unpredictable, depressing, and I would always cave into despair without him. But he has become my friend, my savior, and my Lord. Being in a personal relationship with him is the most amazing thing that has ever happened to me. It's the most amazing thing you could ever do. I challenge you to ask him into your heart and for him to be Savior and Lord of your life. 
This is the best decision you could ever make. So I challenge you, follow after him. If you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, I invite you, join me after service or join Pastor Cliff or join whoever uh, is an elder here. Uh, You can see me after service, but it is so important that you know God. It is so important. Life is unstable, unpredictable, and things are always happening, changing in the world. We see the news. It's depressing. It sucks, right? Always negative. But there is real hope for eternity in God and a real friend a real person that you can rely on, a real person that will never fail you. Because trust me, we're all people. We fail each other a lot, right? We screw up. We mess up. But we need each other. We need the church. And we need God. So today, I'm going to pray that God does that for us. That God helps us to stay stable and and connected with him and connected with his church. Would you please pray with me? Uh, Dear God, thank you so much for today. Thank you for every opportunity you give us to uh, worship you together, Lord. Um, I pray you give us the desire to call out to you, to stay anchored to you, and to be fully dependent on you. May you help us to stay close to you in times where we feel discouraged or even in times where we feel driven to despair. May we be faithful servants as your love is steadfast and your faithfulness never ends. It's in your name, Father God. Amen. Amen. Well, as we... uh, I know, right? Amen. What a good message. Well, we're going to continue that message. And uh, as we close out our final song of worship, if you'd like to stand with me, and we're just going to talk about how It's by grace and grace alone that we are saved, and it's by God's mercy and his goodness that we are able to just be dependent on him, and it's not of ourselves, right? It's not us trying to do the work. It's all grace. It's all the the great, great grace of our God.